Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Pivotal Conversations. This week, Dormain and I chat with our colleague, Michael Manella, who's the Director of Software Engineering here at Pivotal. He's going to tell us about mainframe modernization. He's going to make the case for it, and he's going to talk about what's the same and what's different between mainframe modernization and other modernization and transformation efforts. It's a really interesting episode. I hope you enjoy it. It's, it's a Thursday. I woke up thinking, I really want to talk about mainframes today. And conveniently, we had this recording scheduled with Michael Manella. Uh, and, and he's recently given some talks about modernizing off of the mainframe. So just, just coincidence, pure coincidence that here we are uh, going to get insights direct from the source on modernizing off of mainframes. I can see your nose growing yeah. on, on the screen. You know, well, you don't need to day. talk about my nose. <laughs> like the whole point of being on a podcast is that I can have a face made for radio and no one needs to know. So, um, okay. Well, like I was uh, asking uh, Michael right before we started recording, but basically my big question, since we have had a lot of different discussions with folks in the you know, systems integrator community with end users who have been doing modernizations. There's lots of great stories out there. When it comes to the mainframe, what's different, right? I mean, there seems to be a lot of, you know, well-honed practices like our app transformation team um, has some great exercises for identifying kind of the seams of a, of a monolith and, and starting to break that apart. What changes about all that uh, when you start to look at a mainframe application? So that's a great question. Um, there's a few different things. Uh, first of all, uh, politics and emotions are typically a lot higher when it comes to uh, mainframe modernization projects. I like to look at it as it's about 70% uh, culture, uh, politics, you know, that side of the sphere, 30% technical. Um, moving the stuff off the mainframe, there isn't a technical challenge on the mainframe that we can't solve in some other way these days. However, the politics and feel emotional baggage around that uh, is infinitely higher than a normal main than a normal uh, decomposing the monolith style uh, modernization project. Because when you think about it, if you're going, let's say you're taking you know a legacy Java EE app and you want to modernize it, right? It's been run on WebSphere or something like that, or some you know app server, uh, all the traditional type stuff, right? Um, that same team, the same set of developers, for example, that are maintaining that application, they're still gonna, they're still going to use very similar tools in their daily development cycle as they will in once it's been modernized, right? If you take a, a, a Java EE app and convert it to Spring, you're still using the same IDEs. You're still using Jano for tests. You're still using, you know, you can even still use CI/CD and and all those. The general mm. what you do from day to day isn't going to change. If you when if you're a mainframe developer, if you're a COBOL developer, your world is going to be flipped upside down. Everything from every tool you use, you have to learn new language. Mm. Testing is different. Just everything about it is very different. Um, and that, that is a very intimidating thing to face. You know, you're, you're talking about, okay, now is not only is it from a, um, a, do I, can I learn this stuff? B, do I want to learn yeah. this stuff at whatever stage of my career I'm at? 
Uh, is my company even going to support me relearning this stuff? Are they interested in retraining me? Or are they interested in replacing me? You know, this this is the kind of thinking that goes through when that happens. And so that's why the politics and the and like I said, the emotions run a lot higher on, on mainframe modernization projects. The politics also run a lot higher because the fact that um, this isn't just uh, revamping your website, your public facing website, right? This isn't, you know, changing the style sheets on that kind of thing and just deploying mm-hmm. it to a new platform. This is typically the crown jewels of your enterprise. So this is usually where the buck stops. So there's a lot more risk involved in these projects, or at least uh, it's perceived that way. And so if you're looking to be risk adverse, the idea that you're going to you know, take what you've standardized on for 10, 20, 30 plus years um, and all of a sudden change that, that's a very uh, scary proposition for an enterprise. Let's take one small step back. What's the benefit of moving your applications off mainframe onto a modern platform. Why would you want to do that uh, in the first place? Let's let's kind of lay that out, the reasons you do it, and then, then we can get into a little bit more about how you do it and what's different about sure. it. Sure. Um, so I think of it as, as four different things uh, as far as why you would do it. Um, first is incre- increased productivity. Um, all the modern development frameworks and, and platforms allow you to iterate on these uh, mainframe style batch applications in a much uh, quicker way. All the things that you get from agile development, from you know the modern platforms, from modern frameworks, all those things apply in the batch world. They apply to those mainframe workloads. Second one is on-demand scalability. Um, if you have a mainframe, you're paying, you know, you've leased a piece of hardware. You might be paying by by a CPU cycle, um, but the idea that you know once your work, once your uh, volume gets to a point where you can't meet SLAs, what do you do? Buy a new mainframe? I mean, it's just, it's not a practical solution. Um, whereas with modern platforms, you can scale much more dynamically, um, both from a um, initial cost as well as, you know, on demand. So month end, co- month end processing, you may need more processing. Then you can shut all that down and re- repurpose it for something else if it's not being used. Third one is security. A lot of people don't think about security very much with, uh, you know, on the mainframe. They think, you know, green screen, nobody's going to hack my mainframe kind of thing. Uh, But two things there. Number one, if they were to get access to your mainframe, it's probably game over. Uh, They they now have, you know, like I said, your crown jewels. They've got access to every financial thing. Everything you could possibly want is probably on the mainframe. Um, And there are people out there doing work around um, hacking mainframes. There's a training uh, course uh, called Evil Mainframe. Um, there, there's a couple of guys that have been around, uh, Phil Young and uh, Chad, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Rick Ansarud. I apologize if you listen to this and, and you hear your last name butchered. Um, but those two guys have been going around to all the hacker conferences, DEF CON, Black Hat, et cetera, talking about how to hack mainframes. Um, and so the idea that this is some piece of hardware that is no longer... Uh, penetratable is just not the case anymore. Uh, last thing uh, for me out of the four is reduced costs. So if you're not using it, you're not paying for it. Uh, resources are easier to, to find um, with regards to development resources. Uh, all those kinds of things fall into that that decision. Okay. And so when you talk about the politics and the culture, cultural resistance, uh, you're going to have to make a case for why you're going to do this. And that's 
those four four things you just laid out sound like that's that's the business case. That's yep, pretty much. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's interesting is that what's not on that list is something you often hear, which is the like, you know, all the COBOL developers are retiring right in the next five to ten years. So who's going to maintain or update these mainframe apps and this kind of, you know, you're facing a, a, a development wave of life or end of life, if you will, working life. Um, I, I've put that into uh, both points one and four. So increased productivity and reduced cost. Increased productivity and in the fact that you can probably find developers quicker on, on yeah. non-COBOL mainframe style workloads. So you can find more people to work on this stuff. That's going to make your enterprise more productive. Well, if you've got more developers, you know, you don't have a supply and demand imbalance. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly. So, okay. Yep. I'm just trying to confirm that there isn't some like weird hipster revival of learning COBOL going on out there that's cropped up in the last five years that I, I just missed my radar. That's like, you know, beards, pour over coffee and COBOL. There is a project on GitHub of a guy running uh, uh, COBOL on uh, AWS Lambda. Of course there is. Not saying it, <laughs> not saying you should. Um, so if we, you, you kind of laid out two, like, two different important dynamics of the, there's the, the people side, right? The, the folks who are working and their, their lives are going to be really disrupted. Um, and then there's the kind of the perceived risk around moving things. Um, and I do want to talk about the technical side too, but I'm just, you know, to double click on, on each of those. So if we start with the people, what's, what's like kind of the, like the way of approaching it for them, it's like, listen, if you don't do this, here's what you're missing out on, or here's what, you know, there's that kind of um, uh, fallacy notion that some people have where it's like, oh, it's too risky to move this thing. And it's like, but it's actually more risky to stay where you are. Um, Like change always seems risky, but you're not actually looking at it objectively against what you're currently doing. So same thing with, you know, if we look at the people side, folks who are, hey, I'd have to go learn a whole bunch of new tools, um, you, you can certainly lay out the opportunity of like, well, if you go learn a bunch of new tools, you're going to have a bunch of new opportunities. But what's also the kind of downside for them to not do that? Well, I mean, one other thing, though, is a lot of developers, when you say it's too risky to, to, to uh, move, to, to not move, um, that's usually a problem for people above the developer ranks. Right. Um, I think that's so, probably kind of more the second point on the politics yeah. side of it. But, you know, yeah. coming to the to the developer who, you know, the one of the greater points of friction with the mainframe modernization is that a COBOL developer is really intimidated by the amount of change that they're facing. So what do you, yep. how do you yep. navigate around that? How do you, what have you seen work in terms of bringing those people along? You know, it, and that's that's a great way to put it, which is bring them along. Um, you know, you can look at this as you're going to bring in an army of consultants to convert this, and they're the the existing developers are kind of left out in the cold, um, and that's the way they feel that's gonna it's going to happen. But it's been my experience actually, it can't happen that way for a couple of reasons. Number one, consultants leave, so you kind of have to maintain the stuff going forward, which implies that somebody's going to have to be retrained in, in it, it's good business to retrain these people in these modern tools. Um, the other thing, though, is a lot of these mainframe systems, uh, the, 
the history of them, because they last for as long as they do, there's, there's a history in that code that only those developers know. Um, the way mainframe systems are maintained is just fundamentally different than like a Java app. Um, you'll see uh, systems where you'll have, you know, a database column and you read the, in COBOL, the data definition, which lays out what it's supposed to, what that record format looks like. And uh, you'll talk to the developer that's maintaining that app and they'll be like, oh, this column over here, column foo. Uh, yeah, that's for this, that works the way that definition is for this case. But remember that was at one deal five years ago where we had to set, satisfy this other customer. We just recycled that column. Like that happens all the time. And so the only way, so you have to bring these guys along, th these developers along, because they're the only ones that know this stuff. They only, they're the only ones that have that history that's baked, that really is baked into the code. Is there a, kind of a, a successful way that you've seen um, that process work, like in terms of pairing them with some of the, uh, the developers who are more fluent in the modern tools and, and have them kind of sitting side by side? So the, the, there's sort of knowledge flowing both ways, or is it something else that, that yeah. works better? Nope. Pairing is actually a great way to do it. I've, I, I mean, uh, probably the most successful mainframe modernization project I can think of. Uh, we did it as a, as a two-phased approach. Um, phase one, while uh, you know the people that were comfortable with the tools uh, were, were busy in the architecture space and figuring out you know what this is going to look like in the new system, we actually brought in uh, consultants to go you know teach these, this team Java. You know where does the semicolon go? How do you do an if statement? All that kind of you know basic language fundamentals. Um, we started off with that. And then when it came time to actually start migrating the actual COBOL code, um, that's when we started pairing. Okay. And then, so now like looking at the, the second piece that you mentioned um, of the politics and kind of, again, a little bit more on the, the business side, the, the, the higher pay grades, if you will, that are just, they see this as a risk. How, how have you seen that successfully navigated? So um, I put it this way, um, as you accelerate the front end of your business, so whether that be APIs, apps, uh, all that, all the externally facing stuff and even internally facing stuff, but as you accelerate those parts of your business, they eventually feed into your batch processing. Those things are still going to, you're going to have to be able to iterate on those. You're still going to have to keep those up with those other systems. And you don't want that corner of your enterprise to be the bottleneck or the, or the, the anchor uh, that you have to drag along. You want those to be iterate, iterated on just as fast as those other systems. And so by moving to a modern platform, moving on to modern tooling, that allows you to iterate faster um, with those backend systems just as you can on your front end systems. Yeah, that's the, that's the Death Star analogy which I didn't really know was, you know, pertaining also to mainframes. I just think of them as any backend system is like, you know, just doing some cool, sexy front end thing or a mobile app or something. You, you've, you've shot some down some TIE fighters, but, you know, you still have this looming Death Star that's going to eventually just destroy your planet or something. We watch a lot of Star Wars in my house also. Um particularly episode six lately. So yeah. yeah, yeah, just we're right in it with the Death Star. Oh, no, well, so, you know, I feel like we've covered like the 70% and you said then there's the 30% the, the that is the technical side. So, you know, now we've kind of 
aired out all that mm -hmm. squishy stuff. Let's talk about the technology side. What do you see that comes up again and again and again? Obviously, you're kind of coming at this from the, um, you know, spring batch, spring cloud task perspective. And so I imagine that's going to be one of the, the technologies you see featured again and again. Why, you know, help us understand. Um, and is there anything else that kind of on the tech side you you see as as a pattern? Yeah. Um, so you're right. Uh, obviously, I'm a little biased towards, uh, uh, <laughs> I come at it honestly, um, being the, the lead on both those projects. Um, but yeah, so uh, walking through like the tech stack in general, um, we, I see as, as, a, um, uh, as a healthy way forward. Um, you know, it starts off with a, with a platform. Um, a modern platform that can do the things that we talked about. It can, you can iterate fast on it. You can scale dynamically with it. And, you know, uh, PCF, PKS, uh, you know, both of those are, are very viable options. Um, one thing that uh, mm. you also see that you have to typically kind of navigate through is a persistent disk on both of those. Um, that is something that uh, a lot of times will be, um, a bit of a hiccup, if you will, um, uh, or something that you have to work through. Um, like I said, that 30%, there's nothing in there that we, that we, you can't work through. Um, we've got examples of, you know, using volume services on PCF, for example, for the persistent disk on, on PAS. Um, but it is something that, you know, is a common question. Um, other common question for the platform specifically would be what about scheduling? Um, uh, scheduling is something that is, almost religious in most enterprises they have a scheduler and it is getting a change uh get changing that that tool is like i said almost like changing religions it's that hard to do so then pause a little bit what what is the scheduler in the mainframe world for those of us you know uninitiated in these religious practices so the scheduler is going to be what orchestrates your your batch jobs so uh you can imagine uh somebody's got a dashboard sitting in front of them with a bunch of boxes those boxes will turn from green to red or or you know blank to green to red based on whether or not they're they finish successfully or not and you know you can have complex flows and they execute at certain times and dependencies between different jobs and that is really the operation side of the mainframe. Um, it, it's where, you know, the monitoring, the monitoring, the, the orchestration, all that happens. Um, and so um, moving off the mainframe, the question then becomes, you know, what, how do we replace mm -hmm. that? Um, and, and it can be a number of different things. You know, in some cases, it's stick with what you, what you got, because a lot of those aren't mainframe specific, like a UCM or something like that, or um, uh, sorry, uh, control M. Um, that's something that isn't mainframe specific, so there's no reason to move away from that specifically if, if, if that's what you're comfortable with. All the tools that would be in, in our portfolio uh, can work fine with it, um, but you don't have to. Uh, you know, PKS, PCF, they both have, uh, um, they both have schedulers built in, uh, so you can do stuff like that. If you need more complex dependency management that, uh, between your jobs, you can get into things like Spring Cloud Dataflow with its composed task uh, concept where you can define flows. You know, I need job A to run, and then I need job B and C to run in parallel. Once both those are done, I run job C. If job C fails, I need to run job D. All that kind of stuff um, you can orchest orchestrate with Spring Cloud Dataflow, um, and you know, do time-based scheduling uh, built in with the platform. Do you see uh, functions, uh, you know, serverless, and you know, air quotes? Any of those approaches replacing parts of what these scheduling jobs are doing, 
or do you have to kind of take a few steps before you would be able to get to that point anyways? We're not there yet. Okay. Um, we're not there yet. Um, one thing that we do uh, see commonly um, and we talk about when we are talking about mainframe modernization projects is does this stuff need to be batch oriented? Um, obviously, it was developed that way originally, but does it make sense going forward? Um, and it's not uncommon for us to be like, well, this job over here, yeah, that should be batch. But this other thing now can be streaming. So we can deploy that as a stream. And, you know, those are, a, a, I will say, a much quicker transition to functions. Um, you know, Riff uh, has, has uh, and PFS have those kind of capabilities for the streaming model pretty well baked in. Uh, we're still working through what that's going to look like in a functional. Uh, Got it. Okay. Functional style. Okay, so um, you know, you mentioned having to navigate persistent disk, uh, having you know, running into the scheduler and and solving the scheduling problem. Uh, anything else that's kind of like big common areas on the technical side that that need to get worked through? Uh, well, it's it's the what is the uh, the programming model, um, which brings us to you know, like you mentioned at the at the top, with uh, Spring Batch Sprint and Spring Cloud Task, um, and using those uh, frameworks uh, to develop a resilient applications um, that you'd be willing to trust your, your crown jewels to. Um, you know, most of this, or I won't say most, but a lot of batch applications are run middle of the night kind of thing, uh, which means uh, if it fails, you're, somebody's getting a page and at two in the morning and nobody that want, nobody likes that. So, you know, using frameworks that are battle tested yeah. and have the various error handling capabilities that a spring batch or spring cloud task provides uh, can lead you to, a more sane uh, result than, than going it on your own. I'm curious, just working with customers. I mean, do you have any you know anecdotes you can share or any um, real real world lessons? Not that these haven't been real world, but anything you can tie to actual engagements you've seen or uh, anything interesting out there that might be of interest to uh, folks listening. Uh, a, a common scenario we run into is mm -hmm. you know companies that have have gone their own. They, they've maybe shut down the mainframe, but they've uh, built their own batch framework, for example, um, on the DIY approach um, and are coming back to us and be like, you know what, that isn't the way we want to go long-term. Um, we did have a conversation with one client um, where uh, they had built just about everything else around the mainframe emulators of this stuff. Um, and they were intent on moving the COBOL off the mainframe, really just replacing the hardware and none of the software. Um, and we, advised against that because, um, you know, now you're taking, now you're getting the, you're getting no benefits of moving off the mainframe because you still are still using all the tools, you're, but you're actually worse now because now you've got to maintain all those emulators and other things you've built around uh, that. Well, I mean, you can see potentially someone who's looking at this from a risk perspective and, you know, say someone's, someone's won the argument that like that piece of hardware costs too much. And so it's like, okay, fine, we're just going to solve for that and that alone because everything else seems risky. I could see that that leads you down that path because it's, again, it's not looking at it holistically. It's just, you know, someone won the argument that they need to stop paying for the hardware, right? And it's like, okay, it's a little myopic, um, but sometimes that's how it works uh, in these kind of internal battles, right? Budget line items and whatnot. Exactly. I can't speak to this uh, specific uh, scenario, but the way I can imagine it, it uh, that decision coming down is, you know, somebody without any technical acumen uh, about what that this means just said, you need to get rid of the mainframe. And like, 
nobody else in the technical side agreed with the decision. So, okay, we'll get rid of the mainframe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I want to kind of circle back to my first question, which was around, you know, what's different about the mainframe and now revisit it is like, what's the same? What, what's basically like, this is no different in these regard. This is no different than modernizing off of say, you know, Java EE or just any other kind of legacy workload. You know, uh, it gives you an, it gives you an opportunity to look at this, look at the problem again. Um, and in a lot of these cases, it's the first time in many, many, many years. Um, the idea that uh, a lot of these applications, like I said, 10, 20, 30 plus years in production. Um, so you haven't really had, a, had the opportunity to revisit, you know, the architecture or any of this stuff uh, in that amount of time. Uh, it's no different than, you know, taking your, your application from uh, Java EE with uh, uh, running an application server. You've been maintaining that for five, 10 years, let's say. It's still that, that green not necessarily greenfield, but it's the opportunity to, to, um, to update, you know, you get that, that green, that clean slate again, um, which you don't always, which is a great thing to have anytime you write an application. Where have you seen that kind of, uh, just really blossom in a, in a lovely way, right? Like where that taking the opportunity to revisit has actually yielded a real, you know, business outcome because they were like, wow, we, we, hadn't even broached the idea of being able to build something that, you know, now is actually uh, helping us grow, adding new revenue or helping us compete or something. I can't think of one example where, um, you know, they were looking for better, faster, cheaper was the way that they came to us with it. They had this, they had the same concerns, you know, my my developers don't know Java. Um, They, they, um, and then they were, we were able to get them, you know, they knew enough Java. So they had other developers that knew enough Java where they could be productive, but they're like, they don't know spring. So, and by getting that ball rolling, you know, once they got comfortable in the architecture we gave them, then it, the next step was getting them comfortable spring and it just kind of blossomed from there. Um, what else, what else is the same in your experience with just other kinds of modernization efforts? You know, where the end result, the, the end tool set, um, uh, you know, you end up with, um, a, a tool chain that is as familiar to anybody who's been through those before, you know, the, the modern platforms, the spring-based tooling, all that, those kinds of things. Uh, the end, what it looks like in the end is very familiar to anybody who's been through that, um, which is nice because you can typically take, you know, resources that have been working on, let's say any other modernization project like this and get them embedded in these teams relatively painlessly. Um, you know, it's not like, uh, the mainframe, the end result is fundamentally different. So you could have to have different developers for this thing. No, you can recycle any of your developers now and do the same and, and uh, get them very productive in the, these new tools very quickly. You know, whereas before they really couldn't touch that whole stack. You know, the idea of having your web apps come over and cranking out some COBOL code, that probably wasn't going to happen. So now you actually get that opportunity. Okay. Um- Cool. Well, you've been you've been kind of speaking a little bit about uh, batch and mainframe modernization lately. Where where can folks find more stuff from you, or where are you going to be speaking uh, this spring, and where can they follow you? Sure. So I'll be at Dev Nexus in March. Um, I will be at um, I'll be doing a couple stops on the spring uh, one tour. 
Um, and then uh, I'm also on Twitter, obviously, at Michael Manella. And I'm also on another podcast called Off Heap. It's Java Off Heap. It's a pundit podcast. So if you want to hear uh, a bunch of guys uh, in a bar oh uh, talking about the latest on the JVM, check that out. <laughs> All right. That's, um, that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I got a book coming out later this year. Uh, it's uh, the, Defin- the Definitive Guide to, to Spring Batch. Um, so it'll be out later this year. Um, it's uh, an update to my previous book. Uh, all the examples will be bootified and and there's a, even a chapter on uh, cloud native batch development. So check it out. Okay. All right, great. Well, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. We'll include links to all those great resources, of course, in the show notes. 